Gumbo listeners, it's good to be back and welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and I am proud to bring you episode number 110 today. I have Rita Gurevich, CEO and founder of Sphere Technology Solutions on. And Rita began her career at Lehman Brothers and helped oversee the distribution of assets after their bankruptcy in 2008. And from this, Rita gained a deep understanding in how to collect data and entitlements across disparate systems and platforms. Now, Rita has overseen the growth of Sphere into a software and services company providing its clients with the only end-to-end access management solution available today. So Gumbo listeners, Rita drops some valuable gems on developing good data protection habits when moving to the public cloud, the best ways to protect your critical data, and some powerful insights on data governance and compliance. So let's get right into the episode. Rita, how are you today? I'm better now that I'm talking to you. <laughs> ah, awesome, awesome. So I'm really looking forward to diving into the conversation with you today and also learning a, a little bit more about Sphere. So why don't you tell the listeners some details about what Sphere is and also some of your, your solutions? Sounds great. So I started the company 11 years ago. Um, I come from financial services, so I was at Lehman Brothers. I was there during the bankruptcy, all on the technology side, not on the business side. Okay. Um, and I essentially worked on a SWAT team where we had to figure out how to desegregate all of their identities, their data, their systems and platform servers, all of it, and uh, identify what buying entity gets what part of the infrastructure. So it was a, an immediate deep dive into all sorts of interesting analytics, leveraging all sorts of tools that you know were already deployed. And it became an exercise of, of figuring out who gets what, leveraging entitlement data, leveraging activity data, all of that. And when I started Sphere, it was generally to help big banks uh, get a better understanding of their data identities and systems. And we started to build very uh, repeatable projects where we would analyze an environment and then remediate issues that we found. Uh, naturally, the security metrics became incredibly important because of all the regulatory requirements that that came that came about during that time. Uh, so it became a, a big infrastructure value add alongside making customers feel that they were reducing risk, being compliant, and managing their security effectively. What got really interesting is we started to automate a lot of the activities that we were doing by hand, and we found that we could do so much more than we were able to do because we were doing it more programmatically. And it started as little toolkits that we would bring on site, the engineers would leverage, and we were able to do these projects in record time with a lot of accuracy, and we were able to go very wide and very deep. And our customers definitely took took note of that. And they started to ask us some cool questions like, hey, when you finish this assessment, are these reports going to stop? Our auditors got used to them. Senior management understands and feels good about our progress. Or if we were brought in to do this big remediation project, they would ask similar questions. Hey, when you guys are done, what happens if a new issue pops up? How do we handle it the same way you guys did? And then we realized we were onto something pretty interesting from, from an automation perspective. And we decided to fully productize and, and put the nice bow around the, the solution. And we started licensing the product as well. 
And um, we, we started to call ourselves a software and services company, uh, still very hyper-focused on the access control space, especially as it relates to data. Uh, but we were able to provide different ways of helping the customers by bringing thought leadership and, and uh, ninjas coming from the ceiling to actually do the work alongside all of the automation to be able to, again, go very wide and very deep. Okay. The last thing I'll share with you is kind of fun. Uh, we also are branding this approach of software and services together mm-hmm. as Sphere Soft Serve. So you'll remember because it sounds like ice cream. <laughs> it does. It uh, does. Uh, that makes everyone happy, of course. Uh, but the, it, it is exactly what it sounds, Harmonious, harmoniously bringing software and services together to solve this age-old problem of analyzing, remediating, and managing access control. Okay, so it reminds me of uh, the concept that I just learned last week, I think, shift left. Have you heard that term before? I have, yes. Shift left is a big one. Lift and shift is another big one. <laughs> that, that's another one if we start talking cloudy, which which we will. Mm-hmm. We, we will go there. I might as well go there now, but just, just to comment about your opening statements around, you know, why did you start Spear and, you know, banking industry and also some of the compliance and regulations issues that kind of started, you know, back in like the late 2000s. I remember Sarbanes-Oxley. I actually played a, a part, not in designing it, but I was a backup administrator and, and I was tagged with recovering lots of data. And I remember New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, and it was a it was a big deal around that. But I digress. So just uh, moving forward, uh, Rita, I, I just want to also just say that we will talk about the cloud and you know security, et cetera. But you know, as more companies migrate data to the cloud, you mentioned lift and shift. How will that impact data security in their strategy? Because some companies or some individuals still believe that moving to the cloud, there are some security concerns, you know, especially with this shared responsibility model. What are your views on, you know, moving, migrating to the cloud and data security and, and having a good strategy? It's a great question. And because we've start, I started this company focusing on financial services and then we started to expand out to other verticals, but still very heavily regulated verticals, uh, they were always the last ones to, to hop on the cloud bandwagon. And the pandemic forced them to adjust their approach. And they started to go mock speed to the cloud for the obvious reason. And that posed a, a very interesting security conundrum for them. Um, messy entitlements always existed in their on-prem systems. Some were more proactive about understanding and fixing those problems. But at least when you were in the office, there was that natural deterrent of your boss being down the hall or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, somebody walking by your cube, peeking over your shoulder. That is now gone. <laughs> so now you've lifted and shifted, as we said before, all this data into a borderless location where identity became the new perimeter. And you also right. don't have that natural deterrent of an office building and four walls with lots of coworkers around. It's a major risk. And it's being thought of more aggressively than ever before uh, because people are sitting on their living room couches, on their kitchen counters, logging into the network and, and, and working. And many people are unhappy. There is more disgruntled people in the world because of everything that's transpired than there ever was before. So it just opens up, unfortunately, a lot of opportunities for malicious behavior uh, from insiders 
But also, you know, the fact is intruders will get in from the outside world and start to navigate the network and leverage those open and excessive privileges that are that are living out there. Okay, absolutely. Everything that you mentioned was, was spot on. And these are conversations that I am having. Uh, ransomware comes up a lot and having an appropriate, you know, backup system and a uh, recovery method in order to recover quickly. Number one, identify what they are when it happens and then recovering quickly from it. But now that we're moving toward the tail end of the pandemic, of course, it was a huge deal in 2020. And now we're moving more on the vaccination side, side where people are more and more vaccinated than what millions of people vaccinated now. But from your perspective, how has the pandemic impacted, let's say, companies' data governance strategies now in 2021? Well, now everyone has to think about the problem in two different ways, on-prem and cloud. But at the same time, they want a unified approach and a unified way of measuring and tracking and monitoring. So it adds natural complexity. And even though the world will open back up, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, the the systems are not going back on-prem. They're going to stay out there and more and more is going to go to the cloud. It's one of the reasons that we're focusing so much on our cloud connectors and even making our solution uh, SaaS uh, available through, through a SaaS model. Okay. And, uh, and, and what we're finding is that the strategies are a lot, have to be a lot more complicated than they used to be. And the way that you provision access has to be more mature. The way you track it and manage it has to be more mature. And even just basic hygiene like having accurate inventories in your CMDBs and books of record is a lot more difficult than it used to be, but it's foundational for proper governance, for making sure that you have good DR and business continuity in place and everything else that comes along with managing these massive data repositories. Okay. Absolutely. I, I just, I love your answers right now um, because <laughs> it, it, it really speaks to the audience of data protection gumbo and all things security and governance and access. And now that we're, I call it ready player one world. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. No, but but, I'm writing that one down. Ready player one. (laughs) Oh man. Yes. I think it's, it's centered in year 2035 and everyone goes into the virtual world to have fun and to work. And the world that we live in is kind of a mess, but the virtual world is where it's at, Um, which kind of what I see with cryptocurrency and, you know, everything that's happening from that perspective. But once again, I digress. <laughs> so you mentioned access control and you've heard zero trust, right? And zero trust architecture and just setting up, not giving users the access, more access than they need. So just from an access perspective, what are some of the challenges that you've seen and help companies overcome when it comes to access control? Zero trust is absolutely top of mind, not just for CISOs, but for CIOs as well. And we also talk about a similar concept called least privileged access as well. So when you talk about data, the traditional approach um, that many thought was the only way to handle this because these environments are so massive is to prioritize data that's potentially sensitive or potentially at risk. So companies were going around trying to do data at rest content scanning, which produced so many false positives and was so hard to do repetitively in any reasonable amount of time that those strategies simply aren't good enough anymore. Um, Very important and great as a supplemental activity, 
but that shouldn't be your core strategy. So we believe that the better approach when it comes to making sure that only the right people have access to the data to do their jobs, and of course, minimizing the risk of inappropriate uh, access and data misuse, is to focus on zero trust and least privileged access. And honing in just on that problem Mm -hmm. is the way to actually solve it. And the reality is you cannot do this manually. It's just not possible. Before we built our product, we were trying to do it manually, maybe Mm -hmm. leveraging some of the tools that are out out there that can do some of the collecting of the the raw metadata and, and, and some of the interesting workflows for entitlement reviews. But it became a a exercise of building this puzzle with all these pieces coming from these different vendors and and different thought tracks. So we decided to build it our way, ground up, leveraging leveraging techniques that we saw work manually, that if only we could make them go wider and faster, we know that the approach works. So very practical, very logical solution. Um, I think the world has had enough of these shiny objects that you demo and the word AI, I believe, is completely overused, as is machine learning. And, you know, we very much are, we, we talk about our solution as a blue-collar practical approach. We just use logic to solve the problem. And we also have seen what works, and we saw, we know what you can do in mass. And probably a good two-thirds of all of your entitlement and analysis and, and cleanup of the obvious know, open, excessive access can be done programmatically, but it's that last third that's always the hardest and people can never figure out how to get their heads wrapped around it. It's, there's so many edge cases, there's so many nuances with permissions and every system does it a little bit differently and you have to consider that when you're building your approach. Um, The other challenge that I think many companies have, and we saw this on day one, is poor data quality. All of these systems that are out there, and there are great tools that do things like mover, joiner, lever, and the whole entitlement review on an annual or maybe even biannual basis, however often you want to do it. But the problem is bad data in, bad data out. (laughs) So what ends up happening is the owners, the business users, they have no idea what's being asked of them. They either completely ignore the request from these tools and systems, or they rubber stamp it. You're not really getting very far uh, from a risk reduction perspective by taking that approach. So we've thought about, we've thought this through, and we've also, we've also recognized that don't don't try to abandon the fact that you need thought leadership, and you might need those ninjas coming from the ceiling. Embrace it. It's okay that one product doesn't solve every use case. There is no such thing. It's euphoria. So we very much embrace that. We're very transparent and honest when we have these conversations. And we simply talk uh, talk people through, like, this is what works. And this is how you're going to make significant progress in an accelerated fashion to expand your coverage and to feel good that you really are making an impact and not just handling tip of the iceberg requirements. Okay. So you mentioned a blue collar practical approach. Is is that because you guys built your solution from the ground up and it, it took some sweat equity? Oh, a hundred percent. Our customers hired us to solve a problem by any means necessary. We were there to clean up an environment, to organize their data, to 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 solve an actual problem. And, you know, before we really knew how to do it automa- you know, in an automated way. 
we were doing it by hand and we knew that there had to be a better way. And we did see a lot of consistencies and repetitiveness in how different companies were tackling it. Mm-hmm. But we also understood where you had to integrate with their systems, where a lot of companies built homegrown tools to do a portion of this. So we kind of had a good lay of the land, lots of good sample customers that we can leverage to understand like what's the best uniform approach that can work for the masses. And that's essentially what we what we focused on. Um, and the other interesting part about this problem is you can't negate the fact that you also need developers to work on these programs. Oh yeah. If, if you if you are in a position where you can install a product and it works out of the box and solves this problem for you, you probably would have done it already. The reality is there there's common technology that everyone uses. There, there's core technology that may need minor you know adjustments into how you integrate all this together. But then there's going to be total custom work that you have to do as well. And again, that one third of what's left has to be thought of in that way in order to make it you know, work from, from an evergreen process perspective. Okay, great, great. I, I love that perspective. And also just overall from a, from a SaaS perspective, software as a service, you know, people are building on top of the cloud, applications in the cloud, cloud native running systems in the cloud. So everything is just all about cloud now. And, but a lot of people are not talking about, you know, the data and the metadata that's being created as a result of a cloud app- of an application that's running in the cloud. And some companies actually forget some of the best practices that carry over, that can carry over from on-premises into the cloud. Same processes, but it's just a different method, right, based upon the public cloud vendor that you're in. But why do you think that companies maybe forget these best practices and also develop bad data protection habits when they move to public cloud? I think part of it is um, habit. <laughs> um, also, I think another big difference and what we're seeing a lot is the internal auditors used to be less technical. And what we're seeing now is the internal auditors are true practitioners and technologists. So they're able to spot vulnerabilities much faster. They understand the problem much better. Um, and part of that also has to do with just the evolution of this topic in the world. I always tell people, if I, if, if I went back 11 years when I was talking to my grandmother about what it is that I do, she had no clue. Now she kind of mm-hmm. gets it. You know, she's seen the commercials yeah. on television from big security companies about consumer identity protection. And she's seeing and hearing on the radio how all these cyber companies are out there trying to protect data, whether it's, again, consumer or commercial. So the world just understands this better than ever. Um, I think the pandemic um, made things go much faster in terms of the space and the focus is is much more heavily on, on this. Um, And also, I think the regulatory requirements are not getting any less stringent. Um, Nobody wants their company on the front page of a newspaper because of a data breach. um, But they also, you know, don't want the regulatory fines. Obviously, GDPR was very scary for for many industries globally. Um, And even in the U.S., there's even state-specific regulations that are pretty impactful when it comes to data protection, data privacy. So I think that this isn't going away. 
it's not something you could just sweep under the rug. It used to be that, you know, people just focused on what their internal auditors brought to their attention. But I think that that's mm-hmm. changing, especially, as I mentioned, because these auditors are a lot more technical and a lot more aware than they were before. And, and you know what, Rita, I, I didn't think about how much more intelligent auditors are now. And it just you know, it really goes with the sign of the times that more and more people are becoming technology savvy, including our grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, th- those that are over, let's say, 75 years old, I don't want to, you know, offend anyone, but grandmothers are getting younger and younger these days. Yes. <laughs> um, but just, you know, everything that's happening and everybody has a device, you know, whether it's a cell phone, an iPad, a um, what is it, a laptop or just some type of connected IoT type device that's, you know, creating data. And it's unstructured data that's just sitting out there maybe in some type of data lake and it's not being protected or, you know, it's just sitting out there. Like, do you have any thoughts around the best way or method of, you know, how to protect unstructured data or how to deal with it, at least from your perspective? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting going back to the earlier part of of your commentary, you know, you talked about all these different technologies and data that's now being moved to the cloud. Look at something as simple as Office 365. With SharePoint Online and with Microsoft Teams, it's so easy to share individual files. In the traditional file system that sat on a NetApp server on your network, no one shared individual files, right? Maybe you granted access to a set of folders that followed some sort of inheritance structure and and you got access to a big collection of, of data, but now people are sharing individual files, which is great from a productivity perspective, right? Mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. so much more challenging to manage entitlements when every file can have different permissions. And to add uh, insult to injury, um, the business users want to be able to share externally as well, right? They don't just want to use that technology to share with their coworkers. Bankers want to share with their customers and research folks want to share with their vendors. And all of these groups want to interact with the outside world in similar fashions. So that adds a lot of complexity. So you have to recognize that uh, own it, understand that it's not changing, and you have to build the right solutions to manage this. And the one big piece of advice that I would give uh, to folks that are thinking about this is don't just think about how you're going to implement a process forever, meaning like a target operating model or some way to make sure that new data that gets put into the system or new systems that get onboarded, new servers that get stood up, that they follow some sort of standard. Don't forget about all the legacy data that's already out there, that's sitting out there, potentially open to risk. A lot of companies focus on stopping the bleeding and building a decent process for ongoing management, but they don't know or they don't want to tackle that big elephant in the room and the the mountain of, of, of problems that are already out there. And having two disparate processes for dealing with new data and legacy data only causes more confusion down the road. So so I would say take the time to think about the problem with both of those scenarios in mind. You know, clean it up, understand what you have, build a standard, follow that standard on everything that's already out there while you're making sure there's anything new that gets created, anything new that gets onboarded, follows a very consistent and and clear set of standards as you did with everything already that's out there. 
Okay, great. And you you mentioned artificial intelligence earlier, and not I think you said it was a buzzword, and you know everyone's saying what artificial intelligence is doing and machine learning, et cetera. But I, I still at least wanted to ask you: Are you working on any artificial intelligence or machine learning solutions or platforms that that you plan on maybe utilizing with some of your customers? My head of product hates it when I when I say those words are buzzwords because he truly believes that that's the direction we're going as well. So maybe maybe soon I'll stop telling people that those words are frivolous. Uh, but I think <laughs> I think the reality is this, right? When we had a services company that started to build our solution. He, my, my head of product calls it a database with a dream. <laughs> uh, when, when we started to build out a more programmatic way of handling this, we did absolutely automate all of the algorithms that we were using, all of the things that were in our heads, all the patterns that we saw that were consistent. So I would argue that probably you could say our solution does have some of it. But I also think that it's about just being practical, right? So I think machine learning is great when it's not clouded by nonsense and by noise, right? If you just focus on what you know works and don't try to make it so wide that it's so attractive and just be smart and practical about it, I do think it does work, right? But I think that the market uh, overuses the terms simply because they're buzzwords and not actually solving a real problem. Okay, it, it makes sense. And there are some companies that, they they do that really well. And let, let's say I've seen artificial intelligence in the backup world and storage world utilized for like anomaly detection, detecting an anomalous event that happened. Let's say you had multiple files, a thousand files that changed and the frequency was more than your normal running average of just one or two or three percent a day. The next day it's 10 percent. Something's wrong. Send an alert out and detect that particular event and have someone to review, you know, what happened. And then you can actually dig, dig a little deeper into that. And also just moving closer to, to wrapping up here, just maybe one, one or two more questions. Where do you foresee like the, the next level? And we talked about artificial intelligence, but what's that next level? And I know you mentioned automation and not doing things the manual way and maybe in increasing the breadth of your APIs and things that plug into other systems. What, what are you seeing coming down, down the pipe that, that you, you think is really important for, for Gumbo listeners to, to maybe take a peek at? Sure. So a little bit more about the company that will lead to your answer. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I started the company 11 years ago, fully bootstrapped. We even self-funded building the product, uh, spent a lot of, uh, blood, sweat, and tears into, you know, fully productizing and, and building the GA version, the first GA version. Um, but obviously, um, that only got us so far. So last year, I decided, as I like to call it, put on my big boy pants. <laughs> and um, I chose ForgePoint Capital to partner with. And ForgePoint Capital specifically uh, is one of the largest U.S.-based venture capital organizations that focus exclusively on cybersecurity. So for me, it's like a unbelievable uh, array of companies that are not competitive with us, but we're all in this, a similar ecosystem. So I get to learn a lot about what other founders, entrepreneurs 
are thinking about what is going to be the next big idea or what are people at least hoping is the next big idea. And then, of course, from um, from a, a company perspective, the, the customers that are procuring these technologies, you know, what's top of mind for them? Where are they prioritizing their requirements? And it's fascinating. And what I'm seeing pretty consistently is identity is the most important aspect in cyber strategies right now. And it's fascinating, too, what's out there now with passwordless authentication and uh, doing things like uh, what Clear does at airports, but for the enterprise world, um, leveraging all of these technologies that can bring together authentication across all different systems, including all of the different cloud platforms that everybody's using, because I really, truly believe identity is the new perimeter. That's a bit of a marketing slogan, but it's true. Ooh, I like and it's it. not going away. <laughs> Can I use it? Can sure. we use that for the title? I didn't make it up, but <laughs> I, I like it. <laughs> but oh, I do, okay. I do appreciate it because I think it's so true and so relevant to the world we live in now. Um, also, SaaS, right? Mm. So us as well. You know, we we didn't start our SaaS journey until recently, simply because our customers were these big regulated industries. And the reality is we deal with access controls. So even the reporting of entitlements, it's almost like a treasure map to where there's open and excessive mm. privileges. So you have to be very, very careful and very prescriptive about how you tackle, you know, making right. your solutions uh, available as a SaaS product. Uh, but the benefits are tremendous, right? Not having to procure servers and support the infrastructure that homes these systems. I mean, there, there, there's nothing better than that. So um, we are definitely going SaaS, <laughs> um, but we're doing it in okay. all the right ways. All right. Well, awesome. We, we've covered quite a bit in, in true gumbo fashion. We dumped a couple things into the virtual pot, um, security and cloud and SaaS and AI and ML and just all the buzzwords. We've, we've covered it today. And, and Rita, it's definitely been a pleasure to, to have you Thank on you. the podcast. Uh, also, do you mind sharing maybe one of your social media handles? Maybe some of the Gumbo listeners can reach out. I or love LinkedIn. <laughs> so connect with okay, me on so LinkedIn. Uh, let's share our networks. Let's message each other. And then let's have a phone call and talk. Wow. Okay. You, you've <laughs> heard that. Now, you, it's, it's, on, it's on the Gumbo. So if your inbox starts blowing up, then you, you can't you can't say that you you didn't you didn't want them Re to reach, reach out. on out, everybody. <laughs> All right, Rita. Well, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on Data Protection Gumbo. And thank you so much. It. Thank you so much. On. Have a great day. All right. One moment. Let me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.